And so you have companies like Apple. Apple has, usually has very, very loyal employees. But employees at Apple started publicly claiming, talking about how there's a huge, huge problem with Apple trying to drive them back to the office. And they're resisting, they're opposing, you know, signing these public claims about that this making public statements that this is a huge problem and lots of people at Apple are resigning. Buckle up, it's the Insurance Dudes Podcast. Give you an example. I was just talking to my parents. So they have a <laughs> apartment they own in Florida. And my dad, they're paying for it, whatever. And they live in their house in New York. And my dad says, well, we should go and have a vacation in Florida. The apartment is empty, you know, and we're paying for it. And my mom really wants to go elsewhere. She wants to go visit Europe. And, you know, she's so well, she's still health, healthy enough. She's in her, you know, early 70s. So she wants to see more of the world. My dad's like, but no, this, this apartment is nice and it's <laughs> you know, empty and we should go there. And I tell them, like, this is sunken cost. This is a basic sunken cost thing. You have an opportunity. You should not think of it as like your money is being spent and wasted in Florida. You should think about, okay, do you want to be in Florida or do you want to be in Europe? Would you trade spending $10,000 on a tr- nice trip to Europe for a couple of weeks for plane tickets like $1,000, $2,000 for a trip to Florida? And no, they'd much rather, my mom at least, and my dad somewhat, much rather go to Europe and spend that money. But it doesn't feel like it. It feels like they're right. wasting their money if they don't go to Florida. So that's kind of a personal decision, but happens to entrepreneurs as well. You need to understand that once you invested your resources, you can't treat that as an emotional thing. Right. You have to acknowledge that, okay, I might have to put to, you know, let go of those sunken costs. And the very difficult thing is that you might have to admit that you're wrong about your idea, about your project, about your relationship. And that's a hard thing to do. We have to understand that our emotions are going to lie to us and tell us, no, we sh- you should never admit you're wrong. There, right. It's a weakness to admit you're wrong. No, it's a strength. You know, yes. the, the strongest entrepreneurs are the ones who are able to admit they're wrong and cut their costs. Yes. So you need to be able to admit that you're wrong and Treat the situation as a given. Ignore everything that's sunken. Now, so you have some resources. Treat this as something you can either choose to pursue or not based on existing resources. But don't feel that just because those resources are sunken that you need to pursue and somehow rescue them. That's why people tend to you know, have gambling streaks that keep going downhill. Not a good idea. So, yeah, right. this, that's, that's just a big problem. Well, not managing the ego or not being aware of the ego is disastrous, right? Because Mm -hmm. the need to be right, it doesn't matter. A good friend of mine that I've known for a long time says being right is insufficient for being effective. And Mm -hmm. it's so true. It doesn't, who cares? The only reason that you need to be right is ego driven. If you can be aware that I need to, oh, I'm in that situation where my ego is telling me that I need to be right. Then at least you can work through that and manage that emotion. Because at the Mm -hmm. end of the day in business, who cares whether you're right or wrong? It's just, did the outcome happen? Right. You got to, you have to remove that emotion and move towards the outcome. And that's why my book is called Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, right? Ego, right. Gut, same thing. It's always going to lead you in a certain direction. And you know what? Sometimes they'll be right. Sometimes they'll be wrong, but you can never trust it. Never go simply with your gut. You always need to check with your head. Again, you know, it's like a, it's going to be sometimes right. It's going to be sometimes wrong. 
but you can never simply trust it because really your gut is going to systematically lead you in the wrong directions. And you need to learn about these cognitive biases. That's the ones we talked about. They're just free out of the optimism bias, the pessimism bias, sunken costs. There are, like I said, over 100. My book talks about the 30 most dangerous ones for entrepreneurs, for leaders, for professional settings. You need to learn about them. You need to learn about each one of them so you can know about what to avoid, so you can avoid these sunken costs. You can avoid this optimism bias, yes. this pessimism bias, and make sure that they're not leading you into having a really bad business outcome. Sure. Are there? Can you think of any recent examples in the news or media of this type of behavior creating tremendous problems? Oh, gosh. I mean, we can just go simply to what's happening with the Delta surge, right? So, so many companies greatly underestimated the possibility of the virus coming back, right, uh, and making itself stronger. Very many companies thought everything is fine, and very many people thought, okay, everyone's going to have vaccines, everything's going to be fine, we're going to go back to the office, and they started investing a lot of money into going back to the office and going back to making their plans. And it was pretty obvious, based on what was happening in Israel and the UK, other countries around the world, the Delta was going to be a problem. It was pretty obvious already in May. But the companies were still making their plans, were still trying to get their employees to go to the office. And so many employees started leaving these companies. You know, there's a reason it's called the great resignation, right? And so you have companies like Apple. Apple has, usually has very, very loyal employees. But employees at Apple started publicly claiming, talking about how there's a huge, huge problem with Apple trying to drive them back to the office and they're resisting, they're opposing, you know, signing these public claims about that this making public statements that this is a huge problem and lots of people at Apple are resigning. Wow. And how much is this costing Apple? Many billions of dollars. You have top talent leaving Apple. We you know how much they spend on hiring these people, these tech right. folks. <laughs> this is, you know, and of course, they have to, it's a huge hit to morale, productivity, engagement, which all costs, I mean, I, can, I consult on productivity, culture, engagement. This is a huge problem for Apple. And so this is a huge problem. That's one example, kind of the going back to the office. Another example, of course, big in the news is what's happening with Facebook. So Facebook, the whistleblower, I'm not even going to be talking about the recent outage, right? Yes, so I thought you were going to talk about money. it the other day. Right. And, but the whistleblower who came right. forward. Yes. This information is something that Facebook had internally. And it was clearly hiding it from us. And despite all this external scrutiny, I mean, did Facebook really think that nobody would go and reveal the information eventually? Did it really think that it would be hidden? I mean, there are so many times when companies keep information secret that they really shouldn't. <laughs> right, right. I mean, how many hacks happened of companies, data leaks where the data, where companies acknowledged it only after the data showed up on the dark web? That, yes. And that is a terrible, terrible thing because how much of a reputation had do you have to your company to the, your credibility, right? So right. this is a huge, another series of problems, kind of information. Now this information from Twitch is coming out also with this huge data leak. So companies are making really bad decisions about, the, and Facebook is a prime example of, high, of 
concealing information about the internal company dynamics that's eventually going to come out. It's much better if you get ahead of the problem and talk about it publicly and transparently and make enough efforts to address it rather than have to do huge damage control down the road. And that's kind of a fundamental principle of what's going on. But companies are really trying to hide this information. So this is a big problem, too. Well, if anything good could come out of the Facebook situation, it's always fun to watch Mark testify in Congress because (laughs) you see him drink that water and it's very, very exciting. (laughs) Right. What about so you say never go with your gut. I mean, are there any times where it is a good idea to go with your gut? Is there ever a situation or is there do we need to follow a framework? How -hmm. should we approach this? Sure. So let me ask, answer the first question, then we can talk about framework separately. So going with your gut. There are some situations where definitely you want to go with your gut. One is situations that are similar to the Savannah environment. So when you have a fight or flight situation, you know, when you have, let's say, a bus barreling down at you, this is not <laughs> the time to stop there and think, should I go left or should I go right? right? You know, this is the time to react. Just go with your gut, go with your intuition. That's the time the fight or flight response is similar to the Savannah environment. Yes. So that's kind of one dynamic. Another dynamic is if you know somebody quite well, if they're kind of part of your tribal group, and then you feel something is off with your dynamics, your interactions with this person, then it's a time to kind of be like, a little bit suspicious of what's going on and time to evaluate the situation in a more reflective manner. If they're part of your tribe, but your interaction seems different, that might mean there's hiding something or something is going on. So you want to check into that. So that's kind of a similarity. Again, those are two similarities to the tribal environment. Because in the tribal environment, we had to read our tribal members pretty well because that was very important for our our ability to survive and thrive in that environment. Another dynamic that you want to kind of trust your gut is on expert intuition. Now, what's expert intuition? That's a specific type of intuition that is actually trustworthy. And here is where it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy where you have done a certain limited task many, many, many times. You've probably heard of 10,000 hours of practice. You don't need to do 10,000 hours, but you need to have performed this task very often and have gotten quick feedback on whether it's right or wrong. So whether you've done it correctly or not correctly. For example, I mean, all of us have to deal with email a lot, right? So we can probably take a very quick glance at our email and see whether something is spam or not, right? Then you'll be right like 98% of the time. And so that's because you have learned to associate certain characteristics of spam with the email and so on, and you tend to be better at than the computer filter, no matter how genius the algorithms are. And so... You have learned that over time of your engagement with email because you're getting quick feedback fast on this sort of activity. And so those are the kinds of things where you've gotten a lot of expertise. And so those are the things that you can trust your quick responses on in sort of business settings. So that's where you can trust your gut. But again, that's kind of limited to narrow situations where you have a lot of experience. So let's say if you are profit and loss. You've probably taken a lot of looks at profit and loss statements, and you can trust a brief glance at a PL document that will tell you what's going on in that scenario, in that business unit. And that's right. something that you can trust. But if you haven't, then you don't really, you should not really trust your gut. I got you. So let's talk about the framework that you've created, the eight-step decision-making model. I think that that is fascinating, and I, I love it. 
Excellent. So let's talk about the eight-step decision-making model. What you need to do in order to make a good decision. And this is a process that you need to make a good decision, solid decision on something major where you really don't want to screw up. So this is, you know, you're making a major bid for something. You're hiring for a key role. You're trying to, you're deciding to move your office or something like that. So something quite important where you want to take sufficient okay. time to make sure to that you will make the best decision possible. So the eight-step decision-making is first you want to identify the need for a decision to be made. So one of the first of eight steps, we often don't identify the need to make a decision in a timely enough manner. For example, we're just talking about Facebook where they really should have identified the need to reveal some of this information earlier or with companies right. that needed to move on the Delta surge quite a bit earlier than they did. Then you want to gather relevant information from a variety of perspectives. Look for people who disagree with you. Look for people who think who have the opposite personality. If you are an optimist, look for pessimists. If you're a pessimist, look for optimists and so on. So look for people with diverse perspectives who disagree with you. You don't need to try, you don't need to go with what they say, but consider their perspectives heavily because they might see out where you have certain blind spots. Next. That's the second step. Next, the third steps. Decide on your goal and paint a clear vision of the outcome that you want to achieve. So you want that ideal outcome. What would your best outcome be? So write that out, draw it out. So have a clear vision of what you want to accomplish. Then develop clear decision-making criteria to evaluate options. So you don't select the options first. This is critical. You want to select the criteria you'll use to select the options. That's the next step. And because otherwise your options will weigh you too much and you'll go for an option that's not the best. Then you generate viable options. So after you created criteria. So that's the step five. You generate viable options for whatever you will choose. Then you want to weigh the options, picking the best of the bunch. So when you're weighing the options, you're looking at criteria, which you generated earlier, rating each option based on each criteria, and then so adding the sum of the criteria and evaluating the total numerical value of each option. So that's step six. Then you want to implement the option that you chose. And if that's you know the obvious thing, but you want to make sure that when you evaluate it, you think about ways that it can go wrong, that it can fail, and try to address those ways in advance. Finally, evaluate the implementation process. You don't want to simply implement it, but you want to decide what will tell you that you're going in the right direction, what will tell you that you're going in the wrong direction, and that you need to revise it. And then you want to make sure that you measure the implementation of the decision. So that's the eight-step model, and it's really highly effective. I've implemented this with a lot of clients, and they have found that this is a great, great improvement to their business processes. I have a couple questions on this. So, sure. All right. So you come up with the options and now you're going to weigh those options. Now, when you talk about, I'll go back to number four, which is develop the clear decision-making criteria. Is that like deciding, all right, I'm going to make my decision based on the probability or the you know perceived probability of the outcome if I choose this option? Because there could be five options. And let's sure. say three to make it safe. Okay. Maybe number three, there's a 90% chance of success, but it's not going to be as big of a win versus okay. number one. Yeah, so, so it's a little bit differently. You want to select criteria that evaluate how you will decide. So for example, if you're hiring someone, okay. you can look at criteria like salary demands, 
okay. you know, experience, fit, cultural, you know, dynamics, maybe gotcha. diversity, all of these criteria. What will you use to decide? And then you want to weigh how important the criteria are as part of this. And of course, I see. goes into much more de- deep of de- in depth into this. So let's say that uh, you just got a major investment and that salary is not that important, so you're going to wait at a five. I but gotcha. you know, fit into the company is super important to you, so you're going to wait at a nine. Experience is moderately important, you'll wait at a seven. So you want criteria to be weighted. And then you rank the option. So, you know, Sally is not asking for that much money. So on a scale of one to 10, her salary demands would be, so lower is, lower is worse, higher is better. So her salary demands would be a nine. Then uh, Molly wants a really high salary. So her salary demands would be a two uh, and so on, culture and fit. And then you multiply the weighing of the ranking. So salary is going to be five for you. And you multiply it by Sally, who has a nine, so her ranking on the salary is going to be 45, and Molly's ranking is going to be a two, so that's going to be five times two is a 10. And then you do that for each of the other criteria, and you get a clear numerical outcome for each of them. I love it. So you're making a database decision instead of exactly. like you, okay, this is the last person I looked at. I Now I'm tired. Maybe I decide mm-hmm. I, eh, I don't like him because now I'm tired or whatever. Instead of actually putting real numbers and assigning real values and then making that. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's, that's really good. Take the emotion out of it. That's the key, right? Yeah, exactly. So your emotion, I mean, that's a structured, that's a sample structured interview. This is a more complex form of a structured interview. So structured interview just assigns points. This assigns weights and points, which is much more effective. And all of that could be uh, devised and implemented from reading the book. Yeah, that's all. Perfect. How about we wrap up with a quick, we're just talking about, okay, so we're in a really fast paced environment. A lot of agents um, have to make, do have to make quick decisions. Are there any quick decision making strategies that they can implement to overcome the desire to go towards that gut decision? Sure. So that uh, the process that we just talked through is for a serious major decision. Right. And that's where you want to get the best uh, answer possible. If you just don't want to screw up, if you want to have a good enough answer, one that just gets you a pretty good answer, you don't screw up. Here's a very quick technique where you ask yourself five questions, very quick questions. First question, what important information didn't I get fully consider about the situation, this person, whatever is happening? We tend to not consider information that goes against our beliefs, our intuitions, our preferences. So you want to look heavily at information that goes against your beliefs, your intuitions, your preferences. You know, Again, if you're an optimist, look at information from pessimists and so on. So that's the first question. Second, what dangerous judgment errors didn't I yet address? We talked about three dangerous judgment errors. Once you take a look at my book, you will learn about the 30 most dangerous ones. You'll quickly bring them to mind. So that's the second one. Third question, what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do in this situation? So think about that angel on your shoulder. What would they tell you to do in this situation? What would you tell a trusted friend to do in this situation? You you get about 50% of the benefit of this question research shows just by asking it. And you get the other 50% of the benefit by calling your trusted advisor, (laughs) asking, talking to them, right? Fourth, how have I addressed all the ways this, this could fail? We did not think about this question nearly well enough. We tend to think that our plans are going to succeed. We feel that, hey, we make a decision that's going to be successful. That's bad. You want to be thinking about risks. You want to be thinking about problems in advance. So think about the ways that it can fail and how you can address these problems in advance. And fifth, 
what new information caused me to change my mind? It's really hard for us to change our minds, as we talked about before. So it's very helpful if we decide in advance that, okay, if this happens, this is an indication that I should change my mind, I was wrong, then I will need to go in a different direction. So that is the five question step. As I talk through it, it just takes a couple of minutes. And if your decision is right, and if it's wrong, believe me, you want to take the time to make a good decision. Yeah, I like that. I think the logic behind it is so sound that it, you know, normally thing happens, jump fix, right? You just go. And this at least stops. It's kind of like ADHD preventative maintenance. So you're just like, wait a minute, I need to I need to stop here for a second and think about these five things, then go. And you, like, you're right, this five minutes, right? To just run yeah. through real quick and go, oh. And if it could save you from one bad decision, I mean, we're all going to make bad decisions. Yeah. But if you can prevent one or two, think over the course of your business lifetime, the impact that could have. Right. We Absolutely. Don't... I mean, so many business leaders are just spending half of their time putting out fires. If right. you can use this to prevent a third of the fires, how much more time will you have to work on your business instead of putting right. out fires? Yes. Uh, being the firefighter is not fun. And I think that that's no. something that we shall strive to get away from. Well, yeah. Dr. Gleb, so great. If you had one piece of advice for insurance agents, what would that be besides go out and buy your book right now on Amazon? What was the second thing that it would be? Because I'm going to go out and get it, unless you're going to send me a side one. <laughs> I think the crucial thing that you want to understand is that your customers are going to be trusting their gut. I need to learn about the ways that your customers are going to be deviating away from rational decision-making. And you want to help them make the most rational decisions. So that is a way that you want to be thinking about the situation. It's not, not simply about you. It's your responsibility to help your clients not be irrational. And that's why I need to learn about this stuff, to help your clients. Right. As an insurance professional, you need to understand the kind of deviations away from rationality, rational assessment of risks and rewards, right? That your yes. clients will be falling into. So that, so in order to understand your clients, you need to understand cognitive biases. Well, fantastic. Dr. Gleb, it has been awesome. You went the distance. We said 30 and we were here almost on an hour. So um, really good to chat. And uh, thank you so much. We'll put the link to the book and it's on Amazon, right? Yeah, Amazon. Everything's, everything's Audible, on Amazon. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Amazon, Barnes Noble, Audible, if you like audiobooks. Yep, it's everywhere. But not Facebook Marketplace. We're not going to no. have any credit card information over there. So thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Craig. It was a great time. Hey, Jason. Yes, Mr. Craig. That was another awesome episode, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, if people want to get a little bit more action and, and learn how to do... Uh, write 100000 in premium off yes. of even the worst internet leads? Where could they go? They can go to live.teledudes.com. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Are we going to be there? Yes. It's a weekly call that we're doing right now. That will It's live, and it will show you the process, the entire process. Mm. Super awesome. Mm. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sign up right now, live.teledudes.com. Live.teledudes.com. That's live.teledudes.com. Hey, Craig, there's a new community that we are starting that I cannot wait to tell everybody about. It is our live texting community where you and I are going to answer people's questions and give them free content. 
right? Are you kidding me? We get yep. to talk to them? Yeah, which is awesome, but they have to opt in. They have to text us at 520-214-2219. That's 520-214-2219. Nice. I'm Greg, are you going to respond to these texts? I'm going to respond to them for sure. Live. I'm into it, too. It's going to be well, awesome. And it's a it's going to be our new texting community where we're going to get back to everybody that we can and drop some crazy content, free content, and free um, the calculator that you just came up with. Mm. That's right. The calling calculator. Sales material. I mean, everything for insurance agents, this is it. It's the best texting community out there for insurance agents. Well, what the heck is that number again? I can't remember it. It's 520-214-2219. That's 520-214-2219. I love it. I'm going to text it right now. 520-214-2219. All right. I'll see you later, Mr. Jason. Bye, Mr. Craig. Do they even listen to this on the radio anymore? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Nice. Uh, All right.